The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history. Mrs. French's cat is missing. The signs are posted all over town. Have you seen Honey? We've all seen the posters, but nobody has seen Honey the cat. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. Come to us. We are ready. Are you? What's with the, the get up? Oh, I do it blend in. You know, you know, zombies don't mess with other zombies. Buddy of mine, makeup guy, showed me how to do this. Cornstarch, you know, some berries, a little licorice for the ladies. It suits my lifestyle. You know, I like to get out and do stuff. Just wait nine holes in the Riviera. Just walk down. Nobody there. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. In spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and they talk about films in a film studies type of way that'll never find their way into a film study course syllabus, although this might be an exception. You might find certain syllabi with the Blair Witch Project thereupon, but we're going to do it anyway because it's lots of fun times and it's Shocktober! I know, and we're officially in October now. So it's like, yeah, not Shocktember any longer, so that sort of makes better sense, doesn't it? Uh, so, we are very, very excited to do that, but before we get into that, introductions are required. Tonight, we have a special guest host, young lady across the table, if you could introduce yourself to the dear listeners. Hi, my name is Kirsten Thurkelson. I like movies. That makes you qualified to be here. Thank you Perfect. very much, Miss Thurkelson. We're so glad to have you on the show, and thanks for your feedback, by the way, last week for, uh, in, in lieu of a previous Lords of Salem episode. We appreciate that. To my left, sir, if you could introduce yourself. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I kicked that fucking map into the creek yesterday. (laughs) It's true, and we've never, ever gotten back. And uh, my name is Dustin Sells, and uh, she had really hairy arms, and I I, I can't talk about it anymore. But I'm very glad. Is it your aunt? 
It, it is. <laughs> you might notice we're down two of our regular hosts this evening, because... Reasons. Yeah, they've been relocated. Because reasons. They, they uh, them. Alex has been uh, wrapped into Arthur's web of mystery and intrigue, uh, and had to be relocated along with Arthur's family as part of his continuing cover uh, for Martin Sheen. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're just praying that the surgery goes well for them both. But moving right along, we have uh, much to talk about with this film, The Blair Witch Project. Now, now, dear listener, in, in case this is the first time you've tuned into the show, uh, one thing you need to be aware of is this is not a review show, it's an analysis show, which means there is much spoilerific spoilerage if you've lived under a rock and haven't gotten around to catching The Blair Witch Project. Uh, you might not know that some of its conceits, what they are and what they may or may not be as far as their truthfulness, and all of that sort of stuff is going to be busted wide open and spoiled uh, later on the show. But for your benefit, we do begin with a very quick set of reviews, just whether or not the film works and how we like it, um, and also a synopsis from the voice of the uh, Nickelodeon, and uh, we're very, very pleased to have that this week. So, you've been warned, dear listener, after that first five, ten minutes, we get right into our analysis, and uh, you can pause the podcast and come back if you want to watch the Blair Witch Project in preparation for our analysis. But let's begin now with the voice of the Nickelodeon, Mr. Thomas Edison himself, if you would, sir. I don't know how to do Thomas Edison. (laughs) Three film students vanish after traveling into a Maryland forest to film a documentary on the local Blair Witch legend, comma, leaving only their footage behind, period. (laughs) Thank you for uh, that very grammatical sentence. You're Uh, welcome. Quite diagrammed. Um, You sound less like the the cigarette-smoking cat lady this week, so... I gave them up. (laughs) Not the cigarettes, the cats. (laughs) So thank you. Turns out I'm allergic, <laughs> Mr. Dalton Stewart, uh, for that foolishness nonsense. Uh, we're gonna move right into our quick reviews. Thumbs up, thumbs down. How this thing works, if it works, and why or why not. Perhaps a rating. So I'm gonna ask you first, Miss Guest Host, ladies first. What do you think, Miss Thurkelson? <sighs> That's sexist. Women mm. should be treated equally. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and then equally shut the fuck first. up and talk. <laughs> Uh, I say thumbs up to this movie. Um, I am a huge fan of found footage in general, though. So, um, that's probably tinged a little bit by that. Um, I was very excited to get to see the trope codifier, uh, for found footage after far too long. Um, I probably give this movie seven out of ten, uh... Stone-built child graves. Oh, wow. Well, thank you very much for that, Miss Thurgelson. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? I dig this movie a lot, and um, watching the film, something occurred to me that uh, occurred to me recently, and I can't remember what the other film I was watching was, but the Blair Witch Project loses a lot of esteem that I feel like it should have because it is such a, a, a pop cultural touchstone that you forget that it's really good, like real damn good. Um, it works very well. Unlike a lot of found footage movies, it follows its own rules, where there isn't some, like, straight, like, who would put score in this? Why is there a score? Right. Why is there a camera we haven't seen before? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two cameras. It's very distinct when one when shooting is happening on one and not the other, um, because they actually shot them on those cameras. They all got a cross, crash course in 
camera maintenance and, and the filming seems to make sense too that mm-hmm. they're using the 16 mil because that that's the yes. documentary footage yes. versus just we're documenting the the, the documentary boy, the adventure yeah. the venture of making the movie exactly there's a reason and there's an internal logic that is consistent and that 16 millimeter is so awesome because it's so bad i don't know if it's if that film stock was not good but it looks great for the purposes of this movie uh, and really just helps make everything so much creepier um but yeah, the, the believability for me is a is a big sticking point with found footage in general, um, and I feel like if you're gonna go that route, you shouldn't just use it to cover up your budget. You should be using it to do something interesting, uh, and I think that is something that all people who want to make a found footage movie should take from the Blair Witch Project because obviously there's films. Last broadcast came out like a year before this, but nobody saw that. Obviously, there's the infamous Cannibal Holocaust, mm-hmm. but the Blair Witch Project, as as Kirsten said, is the trope caught a fire it is what has launched found footage it's the cycle starter exactly mm-hmm. uh just like there were slasher films before halloween but it, that really kind of jump-started it as a genre uh likewise blair witch did that for found footage and if you're gonna make a found footage film take some notes from this you know you keep your internal logic consistent think about the things that are gonna make being put in the trenches with these people effective think about the things that are going to you know, put you in the trenches with your main characters and really make you part of their experience. Because that's what found footage does. That that camera that is almost an audience, becomes the audience surrogate in place of another character. Uh, you get to feel that, um, you get to feel that, that impact of being there, I think, in a way that you don't get from a traditionally shot film. And uh, that's something I really value with good found footage films. I'm William Castle. And I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by the tingler. I give it four terrifying twig sculptures out of six. Wait, no. Four out of six? That's not bad. Give me a second. I give it four and a half removed molars out of six. Oh my Ugh. word. Ugh. Man, that was that was gruesome. Ugh. Gruesome stuff. Ugh. The, the only violence in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I like the movie a lot. I think it's pretty fantastic. Uh, there is sort of that dizzying effect that people talked about yeah. watching it with, with just how shaky the cameras are. However, because we've been now conditioned by these sorts of mm-hmm. films, we're a bit more prepared. You know, There's sort of a, a lesser focus mm-hmm. in the eyes that we sort of automatically do now. And it prevents the headaches and the nausea yeah, and, and those sort of things that people complain about. In, in a poor... St- uh, what? <laughs> Sorry. I Words. smushed words together, yeah. In a uh, post-Born Supremacy world, the Blair Witch Project is much easier on the eyes. It really, really is. Um, What I really want to talk about, as far as the one thing I really like about the movie, is the performances. Because we are talking about absolute improvisational performances, and we're talking about super non-professional extras that are given little pieces of things to do that are oh so believable. And I don't know how they manage to get the baby to keep trying to cover the mom's mouth because the story's too scary. But that was absolutely fantastic. I don't know if you know this, and not all of those extras 
knew they were extras. Some of them were just townsfolk. Really, really? Yeah. And they actually got some people to know it's a lie. People (laughs) just like to be in on whatever's happening. Because people are stupid. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, that's some of them are actually uh, I think the fisherman and the crazy old lady, Mm -hmm. I think they were actually Mm -hmm. paid actors. Uh, but some of them were just townsfolk, and they were like the lady at the gas station. Um, they just were like, "Have you ever heard of Blair Witch?" Oh yeah, 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 totally, yeah, totally. That's funny. People are dumb. Yeah, they they are. Uh, I will say this though: our three principles uh, after the after the show moves away from you know the sort of setup exposition bit, and they just move. There's a sort of a two act structure. Maybe there's a third act inside the woods, but really there's a there's a first act that's outside. They're shooting the very first bits. They're mm-hmm. doing these townspeople interviews and whatnot, and then they move into the second act. And really, then it just becomes about these three people mm-hmm. in the woods arguing, and all they get are little bits of you know information. This is what I need you to say, and they just improv all of it. There's no script, and it is so natural and believable. And uh, you know the actress uh, that that plays. Heather. Heather. The actress named Heather that plays uh, Oh, okay. The, uh, the actress Heather, Heather Langenkamp, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she does this fantastic thing where when she's on camera doing documentary, she does this, like, student film documentary voice. Yeah. And, that is, and, and then that I'm doing this documentary thing that's sort of trying to be ominous and ponderous. And, Hello, my name is Dalton Stewart, and I want to talk to you about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then she moves into, again, just this very, very believable self. And really, some fine acting, fine improvisation, fine playing off of one mm-hmm. another, and uh, really, they deserve screenwriting credit. Uh, the three of them, I think, for what they do uh, with the, they might have got it. Do you think? I uh, think they might have. Yeah, we'll have to look at that. So it's Heather uh, Donahue, not Langenkamp, because that's uh, from Nightmare. So I messed that up. But let's find out about that. Uh, no, they didn't get writers' credits, but I could have sworn I remember them getting like additional script or something. Um, in the credits, I know that's not additional a, dialogue, maybe yeah, something like that. that I feel like I, it I've heard they did. They improvised like ninety percent of that movie, yeah, because yeah. they picked up their film for the day and said, "This is where you need to go on the map. Talk about this kind of stuff and drop the dailies off here." Really, if this was like sort of a SAG Screenwriters Guild um, sort of thing, it would be a story credit going to the writer directors, and yeah. really, I think scripting would would actually go to them. Yeah. But because it's not, because it's an independent um, yeah. feature. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Nonetheless, the point I'm trying to make is I like it a lot, mm-hmm. and it's very, very good. And so I would, I mean, I, I really like it. I'm going to give it probably eight and a half. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm going to say eight and a half out of a possible ten. So that's a pretty high rating mm-hmm. um, of uh, uh, dead children standing in a corner. So um, we seem to all be on the same page. Yeah, I went, I went four and a half out of six. So yeah, I mean, I think we're all kind of in a consensus math here. Is this hard. is math is weird. We like it. It's damn good. Yeah. <laughs> well. Let's move on. We're not here to do reviews, although that's a lot of fun. We're here to bring some analysis. We're going to talk about what's going on on the inside of this film. We're entering in a spoilerific, spoiler-rich territory. You have now been warned. Um, I will say this now that we've entered in this point. Um, I watched this film with my son, my oldest son, and uh, he found it scary, which is, I think, a sign of a good effective film. And he ad- I had to tell him at the end that it wasn't true. You didn't tell him at the beginning? No! <laughs> But he was like, Dad, did that happen? He's like, I just said, you know, isn't it cool how they made that? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you know, they put it together and they, they practice these bits. And he goes, oh, I thought it was real, Dad. And I thought, well, well done. You were as smart as a 17-year-old in 1990. Yeah. Good job. Well done. Because um, there was a whole lot of that sort of uh, misbelieving that this is true. There and still is. I know. Which is why I say this for the post-spoiler section. Okay. Good point. Oh, yeah. We're in the spoiler point. I don't know if... I think we talked about this on the show once on the uh, Faculty of Horror podcast. 
um, one of the hosts actually talked about how they had had a student. That's correct, yes. Who was like, wait, what? They were talking about found footage, and she was like, so obviously the Blair Witch Project, and how you can trick people into thinking something actually happened. And one of her students was like, I'm sorry, excuse me? It was like she told the class Santa wasn't real, and some of the kids was like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, one of the girls, was, one of her students was convinced. It's a high school she, graduate. Yeah. She had no idea. She had gone her whole life believing that that actually happened. Heather Donahue's mother received sympathy cards. Did she really? Because people had thought that her daughter had actually gone missing in the woods. That is fantastic. I did hear some reports that folks really did believe it until Mm -hmm. I began to see the three actors on the Mm -hmm. press junkets afterward when they were showing this at festivals and whatnot. And so you that, lied to us. That's pretty fantastic, and, and of course, the marketing campaign that made that all happen was brilliant. Here's a hint, audience goers, for all you know, eighty of you that listen to this show. When in doubt, watch to the end of the credits. There's this cool thing that's a disclaimer at the end of all films released by the Motion Picture Association of America that says any similarities to anyone alive or dead is purely coincidental. Uh, if you see that, oh, also this is fictional. The preceding film is fictional. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, keep an eye out for that if you ever were like, did that happen? It probably didn't, but, you know, keep your eyes open. If ever you wonder, you will know by the end of the credits. Precisely. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into some analysis at this point. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you, sir? Well, throughout the film, Heather and Mike and uh, I think even Josh, I think they all say something to the effect of, how does this happen? You know, we can't be lost. We're going to be fine. This doesn't happen in America. There's only so many spots left on the map that have gone uncovered. That's why the woods are terrifying. Because there are... It's one of those places where you can get lost. We're real good at navigating highways and city streets. We're all pretty damn useless in the forest, for the most part. I, I'm on a population distribution, I think. Particularly people from, like, 15 to 25. So, I started thinking about why the woods are so scary and why they make such an effective uh, location for horror films. Uh, and I remembered there was an episode of the uh, Cracked uh, web series After Hours that kind of touched on this. So... I do want to say before I launch into this, this is cribbed pretty much wholesale from a discussion they had, and it made me, but it's something that I think is very on, on point and very smart if you want to go watch the episode, I believe it's a season two episode. Um, but they discuss in this episode, and, and I, like I said, I think it's, it's very, very smart and very astute, um, the, there is a regional horror. You know, horror movies aren't about the things that we're all afraid of as people. They're not about death and uncertainty and those sorts of things. Because if they were, then all horror movies cross-culturally would be the same. And yet we see a pretty distinct, you know, between Italian horror films and Japanese horror films and American horror films and Spanish and Mexican horror films and British horror films, that those stories, be they film or novel or whatever, are pretty... There's tropes and themes that are specific to geography. Sure they are, yeah. And pretty much all horror stories that take place in America take place out of urban centers. Um, the first American horror story ever, Sleepy Hollow, boom. takes place out of exactly. the country. Yeah. Um, they posit, how many movies can you think of that are scary and take place in a city? Don't say Jason Takes Manhattan, because I don't Which think Which is the worst Friday the 13th yes. anyway. And it takes place on a damn boat. Right. Um...
they point out uh, in this cracked video that that's for British horror because that's their scary stuff mm-hmm. is industrialization. Our scary stuff is what happened in the woods. Uh, and this isn't purely about white guilt, but I think it plays in a little bit. Sure it does. Because the worst things that America ever did uh, took place in rural areas. The genocide of the Native Americans, uh, the witch trials uh, that we've talked about at length uh, the last couple of weeks, um, and slavery. All of these things primarily took place in, in rural areas. The Oregon worst, Trail. Bingo. The Donner Party. Things that we have to be afraid of as Americans didn't take place in cities because people had figured out cities by the time we were building them here. Mm-hmm. But we still hadn't figured out how to live in a, a place where there aren't a lot of rules. Um, and this is where I'm going to diverge from the cracked thing a little bit, but I do want to touch on one more thing that they said, uh, which is the reason we fear this is because in horror, what we're afraid of is losing our humanity. Um, and the rule settings kind of represent that is a place where you go and you lose your humanity because it represents the worst things that we ever did mm-hmm. as a society. And I think that's very interesting. Um, but I, I, I do put a little bit more to it as, as a cultural guilt, which is something we've talked about, not necessarily a white guilt, um, but we've talked about it on the show a little bit, particularly the Lords of Salem episode, we talked about a cultural guilt and historical guilt. Uh, and I think there's definitely something to be said for that um, I think the best counter to all good American horror stories take place in the woods are, well, what about the suburbs? Well, you're right. That still doesn't take place in a city. And how did the suburbs come to be? We ran away mm-hmm. when the cities got scary. Right. We ran the fuck away. Try. We kept going to work there. We urbanized the countryside. Exactly. Is what we did. Yeah. Hence, suburban. Mm-hmm. We left because it got scary because we weren't taking care of the buildings in the downtown areas and left them to the poor people. Urban jungle. Exactly. And just a total gentrification of the surrounding areas. Uh, and now people are moving back to cities and turning into hipster places. Mm-hmm. But traditionally speaking, we spread out and say, we got to go. And I think that lends more credence to the cultural guilt um, to kind of try and hide from what you've done. And that's why the woods are scary. Well, I think it certainly does speak to white guilt. I think one of the best examples of a urban horror film shows how it does transform itself is the Candyman film, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is definitely an African American mm-hmm. uh, urban legend tale. Mm-hmm. And so that that sort of urban stalker slasher supernatural thing is taking place in, in, in a city, but it's not white, right? Exactly. And so there, I, although I, Virginia I, Madsen is the lead, well, she is the lead, but but you know, yeah, Tony Todd being the lead, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because Precisely. those types of films, the star is not ever the heroine. It's always the villain. Precisely. So when our documentary crew goes out into the woods, they are actively pursuing a bad thing that we did, mm-hmm. which is kill women because they were different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's bad. Um, and when Heather says, this kind of thing can't happen, ha- this kind of thing can't happen. We're in America. There aren't any spots left on the map. Well, there are. There sure uh, are. Because we don't go there anymore because they're spooky as shit. Um, And because we did a bunch of bad stuff and we buried it out there and we wanted to go away. So I think that's definitely um, something that the Blair Witch Project speaks to uh, and it speaks to in volumes. Excellent. I I like that very much, Dalton. That's that's, that's fantastic. All right. Well, Miss Kirsten Thurkelson, what analysis bring you? I'm going to touch a little bit on some of the things that Dalton just said. Um, I was really intrigued by the interaction of several elements in this film. Uh, So man versus nature versus the supernatural um, and how these things interact. It's a cage Um, match. It is. It's a cage match, and it turns out no one leaves. So first of all, we've got... uh, 
we've we've got nature, which if you've never been actually for real middle of BFE camping, I really suggest you do it in a in a in a, in a safe in a safe manner, preferably with someone who knows what they're doing. But nature is terrifying. Um, first of all, you've got, and this is part of what makes the acting so convincing as well. You've got the actual <laughs> hunger and exhaustion. Uh, that goes along with just being in the outdoors for extended periods of time. Uh, animals and just strange sounds in the woods. Pitch black darkness is really um, undersold as as a fear. A lot of people are say that they're afraid of the dark, but really in the city, where where can you even get true darkness? Yeah, the light pollution is pretty severe. It's pretty terrible. Um, but if you've if you've never actually been out in the country, like with with some with some overcast. Good lord. Capital T, capital W, the woods. The woods. Um, and just just the elements, because honestly, if this were a movie about teenagers going into the woods and dying, and there were no supernatural elements at play, I think I would still watch it. Yeah. Because they are just so overly confident that they can do what they've set out to do. Special, bless her heart, especially Heather. Oh God, yeah. Who just, no, no, it's fine. He has an arm going. Who just, who, who j- just, just let teenage bravado and the necessity to prove that she knew what she was doing just sort of let everything kind of go to shit. Well, I talked to both of you about this off mic. Um, there's definitely a possible reading of this film where nothing supernatural happened and they all just lost their damn minds. And Josh just went the craziest and killed yes. them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's definitely a possibility. And incidentally, uh, where where these where these elements? Uh, I'm getting I'm getting in a second to where these elements cross because you also have the supernatural, which is the quote unquote the witch, um, and Rustin Parr, who is the who is the child killer who does the witch's bidding in the forties. An anagram for Sputin. <laughs> that checks out. Huh. Damn. And then you also have the uh, the various child ghosts, uh, the laughter in the woods and everything like that. But then where you have those those uh, two elements of the natural and the supernatural cross, um, you have just the teenagers just scaring themselves half to death. Um, and then there's the, especially the log incident. It's the same fucking log! <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh god, there's Fuck nothing more terrifying you. to realize that you've been walking in circles. God. And there, and that is actually a uh, a very real phenomena that people with no fixed point of where they're going, even with a compass, even like following the sun, will walk in circles and think that they're going in a straight line. That Absolutely totally true. happens. Absolutely true. Right. So, cool. so there's a re- yeah again there's a reading of this where everyone is just has just gone crazy. They've gone, I mean, I don't know, it's like cabin fever except minus the except cabin. Except the opposite. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Of just being out in, in the wild. Um, there's another reading of this that I particularly like, that there is no witch and there are no ghosts. It is the forest mm. that is keeping them there. Ooh, spooky forest. <laughs> it wants them. It wants them. You go in, you don't come out. Necronomicon forest. Ecological reading I kind of like. but something to that maybe. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's, uh... Oh, I, I won't say anything about a certain Shyamalan movie. Um, oh, I was just thinking, like, the the, the horror movie version of Fern Gully. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one, too. 
Um, but yeah, so in the end, we don't really know. Uh, we don't really know what is the more terrifying of the elements. If it's the if it's these ghosts that apparently want want the kids once they go in, or uh, if it's just if it's just nature taking its course. Which is a really good point because I mean. Things get really scary before they start hearing noises and their tents start shaking. I mean, they're stressed out prior to things going full-on, full-tilt crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are lost, they are angry, and they are scared. And there's a lot of upsetting sequences of people yelling at each other in this movie. Yeah, there are. Mommy and Daddy, stop fighting! Oh my gosh. (laughs) Just the, this is your motivation! Oh, that's so... I, like... So cruel. And, And, oh man, yeah, it's awful. I, I I I I just sort of like closed closed my eyes. Well, in Heather's I, mind, you betrayed <laughs> us all. So I just oh, it's so oh, sad. Oh God, but she knows, she knows. Yeah, she does. But yeah, that's. Well, thank you very much, Miss Thurkelson. And I would just say this: um, I am a person who does a lot of camping off grid, off the map, and whatnot. And I remember watching the movie with my son. And I remember saying, I really need to teach you how to read those topographical maps so you don't do that. I've only ever been in the woods with my grandfather, who's in the NOM. And I'm always just like, I'm following you. That's yeah, cool. I'm, we're, we're good. We're, I'm just, I trust you. I'm putting this in your hands. I'm going to check out for a second. See, this is not helpful because he can die. And have Yeah, I know. Die. Well, yeah. eventually he will. Every, well, one out of every one people, right? And then I'm just never going to be able to go to the woods ever again. Yeah. Well, Did- I, I mean, while traveling. Oh, I mean, heart, strenuous exercise causes heart attacks. That's a book. <laughs> That's a book. That's a young adult novel right there. Did she know where they were on the map? Absolutely not. No. Not a you fucking don't think chance. So? Not She's, a snowball's chance. She'd she, never been there before. She just said, okay, there's a compass, north, south, I get it. There's a topographical map, there's, a, there's mountains. And they thought, oh, well, I got trees about, I'm fine. Somebody pointed at the map and said, I think there's a cemetery there. And that's what she meant by, I know where we're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think she had a damn clue. Either that or she just totally lost it. I've been on a trip with that guy, mm-hmm. and it's not fun when that occurs. Also, most scary moment that has actually stayed with me my whole life. I, again, I've, I've, I've camped in lots of places where I have to take a big can and hide my food so the bears don't come. I mean, this, these are the sort of places that I go. And uh, I, though that scene where uh, the, I guess the directors come out of the woodwork and they beat on the tent, and just, I, I think about that every time I crawl into a tent. Every time. Without a doubt. It's just a scary, scary thought. Bro, let's go camping C- together. Because you, you can't see stuff. I mean, Bro, let's go camping together. The, the thing about a tent is that it is protection from the elements, but it is no protection from, from whatsoever. From anything else. Yeah. and so, If a bear wants to kill you, it, you're a grizzly man. You you're are, a present. You're a Christmas present. Yes, yeah. you are lunch. The analysis I want to bring, it, I want to talk a little bit, um, you know, one thing we don't do a lot of on the show, and I wish we did more of, is talking about uh, studio production, talking about sort of the dollars and cents uh, about how movies are made. This is a $20,000 movie made by a handful of film students. And, uh, of course, it made $250 million, which is um, a profit margin of tons, and approximately... Math. <laughs> it held the record. Yeah, um, yeah. For the, uh, it still does, as far as I know. Does it for most I, profitable? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm gonna like most percent profit. I'm gonna say yes that it still holds a record, but I could be wrong. I, I didn't look up the information for this, but you know, what's mm-hmm. great about this movie is that this is a original concept film mm-hmm. uh, from a handful of filmmakers. They made it, and what they, the reason why it was so successful is they were able to leverage this new marketing technique called the internet. 
and it was brand spanking. And now there was a big Hollywood picture from Warner Brothers of the same year that also made good use of viral internet marketing. You've probably heard of it. The Matrix. And so they were able to do that. But these guys were able to jump on that because, again, the saturation level wasn't there and were able to get this film found. The thing is, is that the Blair Witch Project could have not been made then and be made today and it would never be discovered. You said get their footage found. Oh, yeah. Well, you said get it found and I said, I thought get their footage found. Get their footage found. I I see what you're doing there. There's a joke there. Sorry. Why wouldn't it work today? Be- because uh, the, the internet is saturated with people trying to hawk their stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're on this little free podcast that we do. and we, I mean, obviously we could make a full-time job of hashtagging and doing all that sort of stuff to get our name out there. But we have lives and jobs, and we're really just mostly doing this for the fun and the love of the material. Yeah, this show doesn't buy me my video games. It doesn't. Or and my it, crack. And, and you know, and I, I'm, I'm happy with it never paying. I mean, if it were to do so someday, I guess it'd be fine. But that's not what we're really after here. And the thing is, is you could hashtag and you could insert your viral videos and do all that, that sort of stuff that you could possibly want to do and still never, ever get discovered. Because what really is required for films to get made right now and to get any sort of market saturation via the internet, uh, those YouTube ads that that precede you watching the thing you actually want to see and uh, those, uh, you know, those TV spots and, and all that sort of stuff is that Hollywood has found themselves into this terrible, terrible rut where, especially in the horror genre, of a cycle of remakes and endless sequels. And, uh, and so the Blair Witch Project kind of is a moment that harkens us back to a more golden age where we were making original sorts of stories. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, lots of people are making great original horror films, but no one's finding them. Uh, an example might be Mr. Nick Sanford and Tempest Fugit that we're doing a screening of later this month. Uh, and, and so these things are out here and, and available. Well, even the ones that are getting seen, uh, Ty West, I mean, who we've talked about on the show ad nauseum at this point, um, other the guy that directed Maniac, uh, The Pact, I mean, these are all smaller horror films that we've done, and people are seeing them because they're available through digital streaming, but not that many people are seeing well, them. Well, they're uber successful, and they're making upwards of forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 Yeah, that's, and that's big. They're, that's, like, huge. That's They made fifty grand profit, just profit, and they're like, woo! No, no, that, I mean, that's not gross profit. Oh, you're, they're, you're, they're making $50,000 for their million-dollar pictures. Gotcha. They're, they're losing money on these things. And, and so, you know, what Hollywood has done at this point is that they've realized that they can make a, a profit back for the most part if they make something like a $100 million film that can basically quadruple those profits with a superhero or a known young adult novel or uh, some other sort of known character. I, I'm, I'm cribbing quite a lot from Edward J. Epstein's um, The Hollywood Economist right now, which is a great book. Uh, if you're interested in how Hollywood's making its money, about the new digital age, video on demand, all that sort of stuff, and how uh, directors pick what they do, and how indie filmmakers have such difficulty finding financing. Hollywood will get behind a movie that they make for less than a million dollars. They will get behind that if you go ahead and make the movie yourself. And then they'll buy it from you. They'll buy it from you, and they'll market it, and then they'll do that sort of thing. That's how you get a less than a million dollar film the quality is highly variable. The great indie films that we all love, those Wes Anderson films, those Jim Jarmusch films, they're all made between 10 and $20 million. And they're able to get, uh, they're able to go ahead and sell foreign uh, distribution rights and those sort of things as collateral in order to get those sort of fundings for those kind of movies. Because their names are Jarmusch and, and Anderson, Anderson. Yeah, I was just about to say it. They're known quantities. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's another one that comes to mind who has a lot of control over his movies. He's getting his own money. 
But his name's also Paul Thomas Anderson. Right, and he's got Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. in the lead he, role. He made fucking Heart 8 and uh, Boogie Nights, and then they said, oh, give him all the money. Right. So, yeah. And, and so that's how you get someone like Daniel Day-Lewis attached. That's how you, uh, if you're um, Wes Anderson, you get Bill Murray attached. And, and so there's sort of this instant bankability that goes on. In theaters this Halloween comes a new vision of horror like you've never seen before. From the twisted mind of Wes Anderson. It's the Midnight Coterie of Sinister Intruders, starring Owen Wilson as a man in danger. Wow, what the heck? There's a bunch of crazy people standing in our yard. Hey, hon, I think we're about to get murdered. And his terrified wife, Gwyneth Paltrow. You don't say. Well, I'm on my way. In the face of unspeakable evil. Yeah, look at them all. There's a guy with a meat cleaver and an old record player. One's carrying a falcon. They're twins in matching track suits. Hey, look at that. Why, that's Danny Glover. Hello. A tale of handmade horror. Hey, they've sent us some kind of communique. Dear homeowner, can we kill you? The murderers. Dear murderers, no you may not. The homeowner. The story of one determined father. Hey kids, come on, let's go to the panic room. And his two precocious children. We have to protect ourselves or we'll die. Quick, let's gather all our weapons. Rock hammer, Swiss army knife, slingshot, firecracker, ship in a bottle, protractor, picture of Edith Piaf, assault rifle, little flag. Darn. We should have left sooner. With Tilda Swinton as the town constable. Hey, wow, we're saved. Who here are the murderers? I see. The New York Times calls it, You Had Me at Wes Anderson. And Fangoria Magazine says, Defuh? Owen Wilson, Gwyneth Paltrow, Angelica Houston, Jason Schwartzman, Adrian Brody, a stop-motion mouse, and Alec Baldwin as the narrator, the midnight coterie of sinister intruders. Rated G. But what we end up having is we have some of these directors who are sort of like celebrity gem darlings of indie cinema, and we, we fail to see anything really new, interesting, or exciting happen. And that's probably why uh, Hollywood film has stagnated so much. And again, I want to talk about horror films, specifically about Blair Witch, because it sort of marks the end of really solid horror scholarship. Because if you start looking at horror scholarship right now, it ends with The Exorcist for the most part. Like, it's always a backward look because there's not much to say because what we end up having is, you know, you can say something about Slasher and say the original Friday the 13th, but then there's the 10 that follow. And no one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about a reboot of Texas Chainsaw. No one wants to talk about, you know, Paranormal Acti Activity 11 or, you know, just a more repeated sort of formatting. Every five years you get your, your uh, Cabin in the Woods's, but mm -hmm. yeah. 
and, and, and there's very little se- and there's not even a whole lot of touching on Cabin in the Woods it's, yeah. it's kind of the the consensus right now is kind of kitschy pastiche I mean, sort it's, of stuff it's it's own yeah there's not much to do with it because it is it's own analysis in a lot of ways absolutely and, and so what um, I would say that this movie does for us is it helps us to remember that we do vote with our dollars and so what I would want to challenge the dear listener to do is to do a little research find out these gems that they, they get super limited releases they hardly ever find a screen and um, don't you dare torrent these movies. Don't you dare get on the pirate sites for these ones because they've got to make some money so that uh, executives will stand up and notice, hey, you know, people do appreciate original thought and ideas and new and innovative ways of telling stories. Found footage being an innovative way, a new story being this Blair Witch that no one's ever heard of. It wasn't a known existing property that happened to wear a hockey mask. And uh, Although I love me some Jason, don't get me wrong. But the point is... That's what's going on with this film is that it's doing this amazing independent bit of filmmaking that's sort of uh, gone the way of the dodo. Yeah, Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice doesn't need you to go to bat for it on the IMDb message boards, but the Pact probably could use that. Yeah, go ahead and torrent that crap. But... Yeah, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, because uh, they're going to make money no matter what. But yeah, there are people who are living and dying on your dollars. Uh, turn your ad blocker off because they're getting just a little bit of money just by their ads getting on other sites. Hopefully somebody's seeing it. Their their movie's getting attention because of the sites that they're able to advertise on are actually getting views. Well, all right. Let's go ahead and wrap this back in, though, now that we've kind of discussed, uh, again, the, the funding. We've talked about the, the man versus nature versus the supernatural. We talked about why the woods is scary because of white guilt and American historicity. So now that we've done all of that, let's go ahead and wrap this thing and bring it in tight. Dear listener, we'd love to hear what you think about our analysis so far. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. And now we want to move on to uh, our final verdict, shelf or trash, else or insteads. I ask you first, Miss Thurkelson, what say you? I think, uh, here's the thing. This movie is not that expensive to own, honestly. It's, I think you can find it in like $5 bins mm-hmm. pretty frequently, Probably. if not less. Um I say, why not? Why not own it? Um, I thought it was really good. Again, I'm a really big fan of found footage. Um, if you get nauseous easily, maybe not so much. Um, the bigger the screen, the worse the nausea. It's a fair point. At the very least, stream it. At the very, very least. But I, I, I personally say, say shelf. Um, else, uh, I had to sort through my whole mental, uh, my whole mental uh, shelf of found footage that I like uh, and kind of cut it down. Um, Some really excellent found footage if you like... Some really excellent found footage if you like this sort of thing. Um, The Troll Hunter is another really good... I hear hear good things. Yeah, um... I don't know if it's, it's a, what, where is it from? Norway? It's, yeah, I think Norwegian, it's Norwegian, yeah. yeah. Um, it's really, it's really, really excellent. It was not, um, it's kind of obscure, I feel like. It's streaming on Netflix. I, I liked it quite a oh, lot. Oh, is it now? Yes. That's yeah, good. Yeah, watch Troll Hunter. Yeah, movie, movie sites were fans of it when it came out, so it, it yeah. had some noise, but it is kind of 
fallen into obscurity at this point. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things though. Uh, something else that is good found footage that if you get nauseous in handy cam movies, um, it was quarantine because they at least you there it's it is under the guise of it being like a news team. It's a kind of a similar in that in they, that manner, they, but they have much nicer cameras. But they also define their internal logic, which is nice. I hear I hear yes. good things about quarantine. I hear better things about the original wreck. I have not seen wreck. It is on my list. I have not seen Wreck. Um, I haven't seen either, so there you go. Things outside of the genre of found footage. Um, If you like horror that is not so much things jumping out at you or like horror slasher fix, um, Insidious is pretty good. I like Insidious. I like Insidious too. I really like the slow build that Insidious offers. Um... And other than that, I will recommend Cabin in the Woods literally every time anyone asks me. I think it's excellent. It's a good scary movie. So it is. I like, it is, and it references. I um, like that very, very much. Uh, let's move on, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say, shelf or trash, else or instead? I'm going to say shelf, this, if only for the historical value, which we've talked about quite a bit. Um, I mean, it's a big fucking deal uh, in terms of rebooting found footage, or not even rebooting found footage, uh, really, uh, so much as in terms of making found footage be a big thing. And also, it's awesome and really good and interesting, so watch it, stupid. Elser, instead, I'm going to recommend the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because it was the earliest scary-ass-in-the-woods movie I could think of. Um, and that's essentially the same plot. Uh, kids go to the woods and bad shit happens. Um, obviously, no found footage in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but they're both really well shot uh, considering limitations that were placed on them. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, according to a lot of stories, might have been well shot on accident, but almost that's, yeah. that's, uh, that, that doesn't really have any bearing. I just think it's interesting. Well, I'm not done, sorry. I'm also going to recommend the much maligned Paranormal Activity. I was going to mention it, too. I think it's solid. I think it's really good. Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of become the new Saw, which sucks. But when the first one came out, it was it was really cool. The first one is really fantastic. And if Book of Black Book, Book of Secrets, Colin Blair Witch 2 had made money, then Blair Witch probably would have been Saw before that there was thing. a Saw. Yeah, yeah, so the only reason we're not having this conversation about Blair Witch is because its sequel tanked. Nobody saw it. Because it came out the next year. Mm-hmm. Did it? Yeah, it did. It came out the next year, and it made no money. But I really dig the Paranormal Activity movies. It's worth mentioning that I've only seen the first and third Paranormal Activity movies, which seem to be, uh, the third one seems to be the only sequel that gets much love for its really kind of inventive 90s stuff. I like the second one okay. I've never seen it. It's so not I, bad. But I dig the third one and the first one quite a bit. I think they're worth seeing. I think they're legitimately frightening. I think they, they definitely play a lot with the less is more school of scaring, scaring you. And that's definitely worth something. Mm-hmm. That first one is real unsettling. Real unsettling if you don't know what's going on. Um, but much like Blair Witch Project, I think it has become such a pop cultural joke and touchstone that it's kind of lost a lot of its its flair. And I think I think ten years from now, people are going to revisit the first one and say, wow, that was really good. We should have uh, appreciated what we had. There are reasons why it's a phenomenon. you know. Yeah, I mean, things don't just become phenomenons because they make a lot of money. Although sometimes they do. Well, Twilight. both of these movies made lots of money because uh, in spite of a lack of publicity, there was a lot of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. People saw it the opening weekend and it made a bunch of money. Well, and Paranormal Activity encouraged that word of mouth. They said it was limited releases, but 
you know, vote to have our limited release come to your city, which I mm-hmm. think is a cool campaign to it's do. A good idea. Yeah, for any kind of movie. So excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am also going to say shelf. Um, part of the reason why I want to say shelf is because I am aware that the DVD uh, version, and I don't own it yet, has the faux documentary that aired on Sci-Fi, I believe. I yeah, I think it was Sci-Fi Channel. That uh, it, the, about this Blair Witch again, this sort of uh, uh, conceit that it was a real thing. It came out on VHS and was at Blockbusters like six months before it came out, which is really kind of fantastic. It's awesome, yeah. And so uh, I really very much uh, want it just because I want to check out that documentary because I think it would amuse me uh, in, in, in a great many ways. What I would say else you should watch, I want to go all the way back, uh, way back to 1916 yet again and, and, and mention Christensen's um, Haxan about uh, witchcraft and uh, the treatment of witches through the ages told in seven vignettes. Yes, it's a silent film. Yes, it's Danish. But it's really, really fantastic. How's it spelled? Haxan. H-A-X with a... A with two dots on top of it, N. I know a couple weeks back I talked about the film Kill List. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the name of the production company is Haxan after that. Yeah, well, the, the name of the production company on the front end of Blair Witch is Haxan Films. No oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, it's both it's both of those places. They're making movies, you know. There you go. And so, but it's a witchcraft and witchy sort of thing, and I find that to be all very, very interesting and uh, definitely worth your time. Um, I would echo uh, the word about Paranormal Activity for yet another uh, found footage film. I haven't got the Cannibal Holocaust, but if you're, if you're a completist, I guess, you probably should check it out. Um, I'm recommending that one totally blind, though. But those would be my recommends. So thank you very much, dear co-host, dear listener. You might have some homework uh, after all of that. Well, let's move on, and let's give the dear listener the opportunity to continue the conversation. We're all friends here. We would be talking about movies anyway, as we always say. And uh, the reason why we do this on the interwebs is because we do want to have a broader conversation, a more intelligent conversation about these movies that are sort of uh, absconded away from the intelligent conversation, which is only left for Jean-Luc Godard and Orson Welles. And so we would like to do a little bit more of that with stuff like The Blair Witch Project. And I would want to say this, that you can have that conversation with us via Facebook. That's at uh, facebook.com forward slash good trash genrecast. That's all one word. And I uh, just want to let you guys know that it's all there. We don't have any feedback. We've got a, quite a few likes this week. We've got a handful of uh, new new likes to individual posts, rather, and then just new likes to the page in general. So thank you, thank you, welcome aboard, and uh, stay with us on this train because we're going to keep on podcasting until the witch makes us all stay in the corner. And so um, that's that's what I would want to say about that. I want to ask you now, Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you have anything else about means of social media by which conversation could be held? I just... I just want to apologize to Arthur's mom, Alex's mom, and my mom. I'm I'm so sorry to everyone. I, I was very naive. I am so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite in spite of what Alex says now, it is my fault because I made them do this podcast with Dustin. I insisted. I insisted on everything. I insisted that it wasn't a shitty show. I insisted that we keep tweeting. I insisted that we do do shit. I insisted that we do terrible genre movies. Everything had to be my way. I always had to say something stupid before we played the game. And this is where we've ended up. And it's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry and cold and tweeting. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good 
underscore trash. Any feedback coming in from the Twitsy Twitter, Mr. Dalton Stewart? <laughs> we do have a little bit. Uh, obviously, the myriad retweets and favorites that we always have. Nick Sanford wrote into the show. Uh, he wanted to let us know that we're all wrong. He got hit by a lawnmower 40 miles south of Waco, and now the hospital is trying to turn him into a, quote, ghost. Sad face. If you listen to last week's episode, you know what that means, and if you didn't, then nobody cares. It's a weird sequel to David Lynch's straight story. Brigham Cole tweeted us a link to one of those things I hate. Uh, everything that is wrong with blank movie and blank minutes, I really dislike those on principle because... I I'm sorry, I know people like them, I know they have a lot of followers, I know people think they're funny, but I just want to say something uh, to the people who make those videos, and that is, go fuck yourself. Because you cannot tear apart a movie, especially some of the movies that they tear apart, that quickly. And that doesn't make, just because something has plot holes and has weird conceits that don't make a whole lot of sense doesn't make them bad. And why this week am I riled up about it? Because Brigham sent me the link to Fight Club, and I didn't watch it, because fuck that, I'm not going to. If you don't like the way someone makes a movie, go make your own fucking movie. Have you noticed that this isn't a criticism show where we don't talk about, well, they should have done this or they should have done that? Yes, we talk about questionable choices sometimes, but how often do you hear us absolutely crap on a movie? It's pretty rare. Usually it's reserved for the Hebrew Hammers and the Teen Wolves. Mm -hmm. And even those, we try to find things we like about them and say nice things about them. It's usually ideological problems that we have in analysis. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Very rarely do we say, this is absolute garbage and no one should ever watch it. We say, it's probably not for you, it's definitely not for me. But to say that this is everything that's wrong with the movie, and this is why this great movie is dumb and stupid, is really obnoxious. And yes, I've watched a couple of them, and I think they're kind of funny, but I think they're doing a really big disservice to film watching and film analysis and film criticism. Thank you for the article, Brigham, or the video, I should say. I'm not going to watch it, uh, because I oppose it on moral and ideological grounds. And also, yes, I'm a big fat baby, and I'm not going to let anybody tell me that Fight Club sucks. There you go. Any more feedback coming in, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Nope, that's it. Other than the the myriad retweets and favorites that we always get. And I do want to thank everyone. I know I make fun of you guys for not actually bothering to write anything in. But we do appreciate those retweets and favorites. We did get some new followers. Um, Want to give a shout out to Francis King. That's at FranKing54. Uh, Rick Riley. That's at Epic Art House. And Caitlin Snow. That's... Oh, Caitlin Snow. Sorry, your hashtag's stupid and too hard to read. Not going to read it. <laughs> It's not a hashtag, it's a handle. What did I say? Hashtag? Mm -hmm. And of course, if you're a listener, you can give us more feedback at iTunes by giving us a rating and also just uh, saying a quick comment to us, uh, ways that we can improve the show, things that you like about what we're doing, how you found us, where you're from, uh, that sort of stuff. We just like to know who's listening and uh, keep that conversation going. You can also find us at Stitcher Internet Radio, and uh, of course, you can keep the conversation going in a longer form via email at goodtrashhundercast at gmail.com. But let's move on. As I look at the hour, it's getting late, and I think it might be time to play the game. Greetings, and welcome. I want to play a game. Well, this week's game is based on the fact that this week's film is a little trip that went terribly wrong. So our game, are Trips Gone Wrong? That's right, Trips Gone Wrong, brought to you by The Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project. Want to have a bad trip? Then you should take the brown acid. And watch The Blair Witch. 
Oh, bad day. Ooh. Oh my god. Ooh, no. That sounds no. like Very the worst bad. idea in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're just going to pick some films that are, have a very, very... Um, Poorly ending uh, trips that might start out <laughs> sunny and then the clouds roll in quite quickly. I begin with you, Mr. Bell. Spirit, what are your picks? Uh, a non-horror pick is what I'm going to start out with, and that is the Danny Boyle film starring James Franco and only James Franco, 127 Hours, uh, the true story of that dude that cut his own arm off. As a guy who has been in that part of the world camping, that's a scary movie for me. It's a really good movie. Uh, people kind of... I feel like had a weird reaction to it because it was still so recent that everyone really vividly remembered the details of the tale. But I dig it. It's a really well shot movie. Franco gives a heck of a performance, and I think it's a it's a solid pick. Um, and the um, the survivors uh, book between a rock and a hard place is a great read if, you're, in, if you're into adventure reading. Yeah, so I like that book a lot. I like I like the movie quite a bit. I'm a big fan of it. I, I highly recommend it. I've only seen it the once, uh, right when it came out, and I didn't really have any expectations. I like Danny Boyle quite a bit, but I was honestly a little meh on the movie uh, going into it. Uh, coming out, though, I, I was quite a big fan, so I recommend that. I'm going to defend uh, one of the starters of the torture porn uh, franchise, or rather genre, and that's Hostel. It's uh, a bad Eli, trip. <laughs> Eli Roth's Hostel. Bad trip. Uh, don't trust Eastern European broads. That's what I learned from that movie. But a good movie. Um, you know, it, it gets a bad rap for what it started, but it's, it's a very effective horror film, and uh, pacing's good, performances are good. Again, a film I've only seen once, but uh, I, I, I like it. Yeah, I dig it quite a bit. Finally, I think my favorite Trip Gone Wrong movie, and that's An American Werewolf. Mm. In London, not Paris. I like American Werewolf in London a lot. Man, whew. As you should. Oh, that's a good... Guys, you know what else he directed? John Landis, guys. John Landis directed a horror movie, and it was fabulous. He directed a lot of comedies, too. But he also directed one of... The best horror comedies ever made. Uh, uh, an undiscovered gem from Landis is Schlock. Check it out. Yeah, that's, that's all I want to say. Check it out. It it, it 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 is what the name says on the tin, though. It's like snakes on a plane. That's exactly what you're gonna get. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, I'm a big fan of American Werewolf in London. Honestly, we should probably do it for Shocktober sometime because it's been streaming for quite a while. Yeah, and it's a good movie, guys. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. Um, really great performances, really fun, inventive stuff, and a, a trip that goes horribly, terribly wrong. Horribly, terribly wrong. And ends in a porno theater. We're all bad trip should. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, Ms. Kirsten Thurkelson, what are your selections for bad trips? Um, My very favorite uh, bad trip of all time uh, is Jurassic Park. Yeah, that, and that's a vacation gone terribly wrong. Because Perfect. he spared no expense. <laughs> he insisted. <gasps> on everything. Oh! Connect the dots. Very well played. <laughs> uh, my next, um, my next bad trip that I'm a really big fan of that you guys are actually doing on the show here relatively soon. Uh, your next. Ah, uh, yeah. A group of family members goes up to their parents. What their parents. Cabin thing? Cabin yeah, it's thing. like a weekend It's home. kind yeah. of a cabin It's pretty looks. bougie for a cabin. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lake. wicked night. It's, it's a, a lake, lake house. house. Yeah. Oh, it's a lake it's house. It's in the Berkshires. No big deal. They go to their, um, they go to their East Coast family's uh, lake house to hang out and have a big family reunion and... Get the shit murdered out of them. Basically, yeah, that is not what happens. Mayhem ensues. Um... And then this last one, I don't really know if it qualifies as a bad trip, but I'm gonna say it anyway, and that's Jawbreaker. Because... 
they put her they they put they put their best friend who's like the golden girl of the whole high school they put her in the trunk for her birthday that sounds that's a bad idea that sounds like a weird that sounds like a weird premise it's a monoxide poison happy birthday they kidnap her they kidnap her they're gonna take her to uh quote stuff her face full of waffles and uh, they oh, they pop open the trunk only to discover that she is choked to death. Oh, she does on the titular jawbreaker. So that's a bad trip for her. That's really, a na- it's a bad trip for everyone. Yeah, it's a actually. '90s cult classic. It's got uh, oh, Rose it's McGowan fantastic. In it. Yeah, oh, wow. Oh, it's fantastic. It yes, definitely check that movie out if you haven't. It's, it's, spoilers. It's a '90s. No, it's the first like. It's the minutes. first fifteen yeah. minutes oh, of it, and yeah. then this happens. Yeah. With this yeah. It's it's the uh, it's the '90s Heather's. Okay. Yeah. Ten. Oh, that's reasonable. Yeah. Ten four. I got you now. Really good dark comedy. Just like Mean Girls is the 2000s, Heathers. Every decade there will be one. Yeah, man. Yeah, there's one Heathers. <laughs> That's it. That's what I got. Well, thank you very much, Miss Thurkelson. I- I've got a handful of picks that I- I'm going to whittle down. Uh, just to get a horror pick, I'm going to name the original Wes Craven, The Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> uh, you're just with the family, in the van, going through the desert, <laughs> and then there are mutant cannibal rapists. I really bad day. I really like that remake. I like the remake a lot too. Yeah, it, 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 it's definitely um, compelling, effective, viscerally yeah. effective. Yeah, I I like uh, you know occasionally, it, not very often does the protagonist or one of the protagonists of a horror film actually turn out to be slightly good at something, and I like that the family like actually gets their shit together and become pretty hardcore survivalists, and it becomes like a war between these two families. Yeah, so I, that's that's a movie I like a lot, and that's that's sort of a horror pick. There's lots of others, Texas Chainsaw. I mean, you know, lots of other things that you could say. But I'll, I'll move on. Um, I want to talk about Peter Weir's Australian film, Picnic at Hanging Rock, at which um, this is not a spoiler. This is sort of like Jawbreaker. This happens very early in the film, but a bunch of uh, uh, boarding school, you know, Victorian girls go on a vacation or not a vacation, a picnic at Hanging Rock, hence the title, and four of them disappear. And it jacks everybody's life up because of this. And it's unexplained throughout the film. It's got a very anti-realist sort of style. Um, Think if uh, Barry Lyndon and sequences from Twin Peaks had a baby. Uh, That's sort of what's going on in this film. And I'm not exaggerating. Hanging Weird. Rock sounds like a terrible place for a picnic. It, well, it's it's a volcanic formation, uh, so it, uh, okay, it, when you okay, stand okay. below it, it feels like okay. it's a bug. Nobody got hung on the rock, it's just no. literally okay, the okay. rock hangs. The rock hangs, <laughs> quite, yeah, quite literally. This would be a good place. And, and my other, I guess it actually is a horror film. I was thinking because it's a foreign you know, uh, art cinema, it's not. But actually it is a horror film. It's 1977's Hasu or House. Oh, God. It's a uh, fantastic, it's, it's as if a Scooby-Doo episode was directed by Rob Zombie. And, uh, it's a fairly infamous Japanese horror film, and it's it, I, you know I saw a little commentary from Mr. Ty West on uh, this particular film, no kidding, adoration thereof, and uh, it, it really is a great little movie. But they go visit Grandma, and they probably shouldn't have because the piano eats that girl. And uh, I will say no more. Yeah, piano eats that girl. That's what I thought you said. Yeah, just checking. <laughs> it does take place. And so thank you very much, dear co-hosts, uh, for that great gameplay. Let's move on and let's talk for just a moment about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Yeah. Turn me up. Uh. Yo. Uh. My crew is all fired up. Y'all better just rise up. What? 
Everybody getting sized up. Before we all rise up, start running your times up. Cause when my crew ride up, the sky gon' light up. Mr. Dollar Sturdy, fired up this week. I am, yeah. Uh, quite a good deal. Um, listeners of the show probably know at this point that I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of This American Life, hosted by Ira Glass. They have their very first spinoff um, after like 20 years of doing their show. Uh, they have started doing a spinoff called Serial. Uh, it's hosted by one of the longtime producers of uh, This American Life, Sarah Koenig. Um, and essentially, instead of doing what This American Life typically does, which, you know, there's a central theme for an episode, and they give you, you know, three to five stories on that theme. Sometimes they'll give you an episode de- uh, devoted to an entire story. Uh, this is a podcast devoted to a long-form story. Uh, the first one, uh, the first story, at the very least, is going to take place over 12 episodes. The first two have already uh, been made available, and this is a podcast only. Uh, it's not a radio show like This American Life, which is a radio show and a podcast. Serial is just a podcast. And I will just give you the pitch, because I don't know how to... To really sell it to you. So I'm just going to basically give you the synopsis of what the story is. It's, 19- it's Baltimore, 1999. Heyman Lee, a popular high school senior, disappears after school one day. Six weeks later, detectives arrest her classmate and ex-boyfriend, Anad Syed, for her murder. He says he's innocent, though we can't exactly remember what he was doing on that January afternoon. But someone can. A classmate at Woodlawn High School says she knows where Anad was. The trouble is, she's nowhere to be found. Wow. So that first bit is just the setup, and this is, you know, they spent over a year investigating the story. Uh, Anad's been in prison for, you know, like 13, 14, 15 years at this point. Uh, he went to jail. Mm. He was convicted of the murder uh, in late 99, early 2000, somewhere in there. Uh, so he's been in jail for the better part of the last two decades. He spent more of his life in jail. He spent, you know, almost as much of his life in jail as he's been alive. Wow. Um, so this whole story is, did he do it or not? Mm. And you're going to hear evidence to both sides that's really kind of compelling and really, I still have no idea. I don't, I don't think he did where I am, but also I don't really have any good reason not to. Mm. That's just the people who says he did it don't very have equally uncompelling evidence to that he did. So I definitely recommend you check that out. I have listened to the first two episodes, and they're both very, very good. So once again, that is Serial, the first spinoff from This American Life, hosted by Sarah Koenig. Um, I picked up a new video game, and that's Middle Earth Shadows of Mordor. It's awesome. Uh, listeners of the show know I like to bag on the Lord of the Rings, but I actually do like them quite a bit. I think they're very good films. I'm not really interested in the Tolkieniverse in general. I think it's way too dorky and full of math and linguistics. Um, but I like the Lord of the Rings movies because Peter Jackson made three really damn good movies. I don't really care about the Hobbit movies because they look kind of shitty. But I really like Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, and this video game takes place before those, but after The Hobbit, uh, before Mordor has completely gone back to crap again, and you're a ranger who has been killed, but cannot leave this world because you found yourself bound to a wraith of some kind. Wow. And you have to fight your way up the Uruk and Orc hierarchy and make them fight amongst themselves and get to the bottom of all this wackiness. Sounds like a bad day. Yeah, it's a bad day. It's it really looks co- very cool. It's it's a very, Philip has it, too. Yeah, it's a cool video game. Finally... Finally, listener. I know I've been breaking the rule a lot these last couple of weeks, but this is a good reason to do it this week. I saw Gone Girl this weekend. And I liked it a lot. Uh, I liked it a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. 
And if anybody tries to tell you anything about it, you should cover yours and run away from them because they're an asshole. Because it's not going to ruin the movie for you to know anything about it. I think it would still be as enjoyable, but I think you're going to lose a lot of what's enjoyable about the first half of the movie if you let anybody tell you anything about this movie. Uh, because it's got one of those game-changing uh, events revelations uh, in the film that really just totally changes the status quo and makes it hard to talk about. Uh, I think there's a way to talk about it without talking about that, but I'm dumb, and I don't really feel like doing that, so I'm not going to do that. I think you should go see it. I like David Fincher a lot. You know this already. We talk about this a lot, about how much I like him, and that's why I don't ever talk about it. But it's real good. It's real, real good. And it's definitely a return to form after The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which was definitely Lester Fincher. So go check out Gone Girl. Tell me what you think. Isn't it just that uh, his uh, wife was a figment of his imagination and an alternate manifestation of his personality the entire time? No, no, the whole time uh, she was John Carroll Lynch. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am quite fired up this week, and uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot going on. Let's begin with uh, the most recent issue of Sight and Sound available here across the pond, which, you know, every decade they release their greatest films of all time poll, which made big ways when Vertigo surpassed Citizen Kane as a top film, according to critics and filmmakers uh, that were surveyed, over 2,000 or whatever, that were, that were surveyed for that. They just produced a uh, top... Uh, documentary films poll and uh, which I just find to be really fascinating really it's, cool. it's an interesting form of, of cinema that we don't talk enough about uh, because you know narrative sort of rules the day in all the things but um, what one well, uh, depends on which side you want to look at. The critic side or the director side? Yeah, and I'll tell you right What now. happened on the, the last poll? Um, I know there was a pretty there's, it was different, but there still seemed to be some consensus on the best films of all time. Yeah, it was just the switch with Vertigo and Citizen Kane was the, the big thing. Direct, no, for the directors and critics lists. There was a little bit of a difference, but... Did they both? Did they pick different best movies of all time? I don't remember. I'll they, look it up. Yeah. Actually, both picked the same. They both picked Man with a Movie Camera for the number one film oh, of all yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Hey, I've actually seen parts of that. And then the critics picked Shoah for the number two film, followed mm. by San Salil, which is the Chris Marker film about his travels in Japan and also San Francisco. Mm. It's really, really fantastic. Uh, San Salil is number two for the filmmakers, and then it's followed by The Thin Blue Line at number three. That makes sense. Uh, because of Thin Blue Line, I mean, big time influential for modern documentaries. But I'm very, very interested in documentary just as a film form. It's a place where we can be very ex experimental. Uh, uh, actually, a, sh a show that we have done um, is uh, is in the top 30. That's uh, The Act of Killing, which made the list. And it's a very recent It's in the top 30? Film. Yeah. Wow. It's and a damn good movie. It is a really, really good movie. Have you heard about the pseudo-sequel to The Act of Killing? That um, Joshua oh. Oppenheimer is making. Did not know. You can hear about this. I can't for the life of me remember the name of it, um, but it is the story of the Indonesian death squads told from the tales uh, told from the side of the victims. Wow. Yeah. So that's something Oppenheimer's working on right now. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, another thing that sort of got relatedly fired upable uh, in this whole story is that Mark Cousins. Uh, who is a filmmaker and critic who writes often for Sight and Sound. He is the, uh, the genius behind the 15-part, um, the story of film that's now available on Netflix, which every film nerd really just ought to just invest some time and uh, check that out. But he is uh, talking about making a documentary, sort of postscript to it, um, titled Dear John Gerson which is very funny. He's a very famous documentary filmmaker from the 1940s in Great Britain. And being an Irishman, that's sort of related to him and his context. So I'm excited to see that. Um, as the dear listener all know, we talked about this a little bit last week with Stakeland. I kind of like Dracula a lot. And Dracula Untold's opening this weekend. And it's 
You know what? It looks like it's going to be schlocky. It kind of looks like Snow White and the Huntsman, but it's different than what we've been having. And uh, that makes me happy. And so I will take different, uh, and I will take something else. And I like to go back to Transylvania as often as I possibly can. In fact, my poor students whom I teach English comp have had to go to Transylvania with me this very week looking at the original 1931 Dracula movie starring Bela Lugosi. But that is what it is. Moving on. Um, so yesterday, um, there was a little buzz via Twitter. David Lynch and, Mar er, and, and David Frost both tweeted at the exact same time, about noon or so yesterday, that gum you like is going to come back in style. Hashtag damn fine coffee. And so um, my attentions had been perked. Then my phone blew up at about 11 a.m. this morning because everyone knows how much I love Twin Peaks. And Showtime has just announced that there is going to be a 15-part um, little shorty season of Twin Peaks. They're going to go back. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin is already attached. I think Ray Wise is already attached. Bless. And he's dead. And I just Bless. think this is fantastic. And, of course, there have been little hints uh, about this. There's a uh, very famous little short with... Uh, with Grace Zabrinsky, uh, um, the actress who plays Laura Palmer, whose name escapes me right now, and Ray Wise, and they're having this conversation and uh, saying, so we could go back, you know, you're dead, and we could work around it, says David Lynch. And Yeah, because it's David fucking Lynch. And so, happy times are being experienced by me right now. And Listener, so, if, if I told you what I know about Twin Peaks, which is all from the first three episodes. Nothing could possibly prepare you for Twin Peaks. Nothing I could possibly say could possibly prepare you. I could tell you what I'm going to tell you, which is there is a little person that speaks backwards, and then they play it forwards. Nothing will prepare you for the lunacy and craziness that is Twin Peaks. It's Kyle one of those McLaughlin, movies you're not ready to watch until you've watched it. Kyle McLaughlin is an FBI agent who starts the train of solving this murder by throwing rocks at a bottle. Shit is wacky. I just watched the pilot last night. The pilot's not very good. It's it an hour and a half. You gotta give it three episodes. Yeah. I mean, really, if you can, if, if, if by yep. the third episode you'll know if you're in or not. I'm I plan, in. I, I plan on watching it. I just... And what's weird is, you know, September of last year when we did our TV show show and Dustin and I did a uh, a watch-along for episode three because I hadn't watched it and I was sold and I still haven't watched any more of it because there's so much television. Yeah, there yeah, is. and it's, it's hard to, but this will kind of light a fire under me. I think a fire to walk with, perhaps. Uh, yes, to uh, get me to rewatch or, the, or watch the show, uh, so I can be ready for the Showtime mini short season thing. I am so happy. I, I cannot stand myself. I can only imagine. Well, I, I bought two dozen donuts today. I mean, I I I, I am thrilled. This is a good time. I'm buying donuts for my class tomorrow. And, and Are you so, going to explain to them why? Uh, well, I mean, partly because we're watching a movie in class, but now we're celebrating Twin Peaks as well. That's good. And so, good times. Have any of your uh, little weirdos seen Twin Peaks? Probably not, because they're fetuses. They're all like 19. You know, yeah. Like, they don't know anything. But they, they didn't have I Love the 90s to teach them about the things that they... And I, and I Love the 80s to teach them about the things they need to know. Yeah, yeah that's, that is very true. But they're learning. They're, they're actually... They're quite malleable heads full of mush, and I, I will... <laughs> I will form them all in my own corrupt image before very long, and it's an exciting thing. But thank you very much uh, for that fired up. And this, dear listener, we'd love to know what you're fired up about. But you know what I'm fired up about? Is What's that? What we're going to watch next week, which is we're going to be taking a look at Zombieland. And so we're going to do Steakland, the comedy version. 
which is preceding that. But nonetheless, lots of fun will be had by all. Uh, there will be some Bill Murray. There will be some Woody Harrelson. There, there may be snowballs and an occasional Twinkie. Good times. I hate coconut. <laughs> Good times will be had by all. But in the meantime, dear listener, the reason why we do this is we think that by looking at the movies, we can reflect on life and we can see the structure of the system that is around us by looking at these imaginary worlds. And so what we call you to do, dear listener, is to imagine with us and imagine with somebody you love and have a good conversation about that and then live a more meaningful and satisfied life. And until then, we'll see you next time. Actually, a game that they were playing, and no one was ever gone in the first place. Oh, the the game! Oh shit! I always forget about the game. That's the that's the one Fincher movie I've never seen. Oh, okay. Yeah. I always forget about it. I was making Fincher joke. Yeah. We were talking about this the other day. And I was like, no, I've seen every Fincher movie. I always forget about the game. I just skip right from Panic Room to, to Zodiac. The game's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I spoiled it. Oh, that's right. The game came before. No, I know the gist of it. Okay, that's right. That's right. So the panic room is after the game. I go straight from Fight Club to panic room. Fuck you, Nick. Yeah, they're at a Christian school, so <laughs> their critical uh, thinking skills have already been dulled over 18 years. So yeah. it would be real easy to go in there and put okay. them back together. Yeah, I'm blowing them up. It's, it's so, <laughs> I can't even imagine. It is so much fun. Uh...